If you're glad that guy was not watching out for you, let me hear your hands. Hopefully that'll make more sense a little bit later in the service. But we're responsible to be a voice of warning to a world around us. Come on, help me this morning. You're going to have to say amen twice or pay a double tithe, whichever you want to do. So there we go. The um, series we're doing in Ezekiel called Visions of God provide for us what I believe is a paradigm, a model for the contemporary spirit-filled church. Ezekiel had visions of God that we looked at last week that led directly to a calling from God on his life. God is not flippant nor haphazard in his divine revelation. If God reveals himself to you in a powerful way, it's because he has a specific purpose for your life out of that divine revelation. It's not to entertain you or to make you wiser than someone else or more spiritual or for you to write a book or, go to, or to go on tour. It's because he wants you to see something of him that you need to see in order to fulfill the calling he wants to place on your life. This calling is clarified in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17, when God says to Ezekiel, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel, so hear the word that I speak and give them warning from me. His calling was to be a watchman spiritually on the wall of Israel, watching over what was happening to God's people. The Hebrew word for watchman here means one who looks out, one who spies, or one who watches. Sometimes in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the watchmen were scouts that were watching people approaching to determine whether they were friend or foe. An example is found in 2 Kings chapter 9. Now the watchman was standing on the tower of Jezreel and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company. And Joram said, take a horseman, send to meet them and say, is it peace? Their job was to watch over the approach to the city. They're also responsible for protecting towns and military installations from surprise enemy attacks and from other potential dangers. They served a purpose in the protection of the nation. Ancient Israelite cities often stationed watchmen high on walls or on watchtowers. Now, I know that there's a religious group that has claimed that name, and we need to claim it back, that God wants there to be spiritual watchmen on the watchtowers in our cities and in our churches and in our nation. Their job was to keep watch and warn of impending threats. They also safeguarded fields and vineyards during harvest time, acted as sentinels who announced the start of a new day. So the concept of a watchman was one that Ezekiel would have been very familiar with. And let me just rehearse that a little bit more to see who was approaching friend or foe to guard over surprise attacks, to watch over the harvest and the fields during times that they were vulnerable. Their job was to provide a warning <coughs> and oversight for the city. So I want to suggest to you that while the term is not used in the New Testament specifically as a watchman, 
the character and responsibilities are clearly articulated in the New Testament that we're to fill a similar role. One example would be the job of our staff. The pastoral team is to be a watchman for your souls. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So there's a responsibility for leadership. But there's also a responsibility for you and I to be watchmen as individuals to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to warn the wayward ones and to encourage those in the house of God because the warning we'll see is for the, the sinner as well as the saint, the Christ follower as well as the pagan. There's a responsibility to be that voice of God in this generation. And so I'm convinced that if visions from God are real in the Old Testament and the New, that the same principles of the Old Testament carry over into the New Testament that God needs watchmen in our generation. Amen, pastor, I'm with you. Keep going. I'm, I got you. I got your back. So I want to talk about what that looks like and challenge you a little bit this morning. And you're obviously the ones who are going to be the watchmen, and those who are online can be watchmen. We all need to be responsible to God. How many believe that this morning? We all need to be responsible. So where does that start? I think it starts with this simple concept. Learn to listen to the heart of God. Learn to listen to the heart of God. So you have to ask yourself, what moves the heart of God? And I thought about giving you a list of all the things that move the heart of God, but just let's take a little bit of a tour, just some thoughts to trigger some thoughts on your own. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How many of you believe that lost people move the heart of God? In fact, we're told about Jesus that his heart, when he saw the multitudes, was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep not having a shepherd. Obviously, the heart of God is moved toward people that are not headed for heaven. He tells us that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Jesus oftentimes was moved with compassion. And it'd be good for you to do a personal Bible study on when and where Jesus was moved with compassion to begin to learn how and when the heart of God is moved. David was a man after God's own heart. So I simply want to ask the question this morning, rather than give you a list, what do you believe moves the heart of God? What have you read and seen that moves the heart of God? When have you felt the heart of God be burdened and broken? When have you felt the heart of God rejoice and celebrate? What moves the heart of God? Because it doesn't matter if I tell you what moves the heart of God. What matters is if you've experienced what moves the heart of God. Now, how will you know that? Now, this is dangerous ground next. But if you are a Christ follower that is led by the Spirit of God, and Romans is clear 
that if you are a child of God, you will be led by God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Then wouldn't it make sense that what moves the heart of God might first be recognized by what is moving in your heart? Maybe that's where we start. What moves my heart? Now that's dangerous. I believe you should listen to your heart. I don't believe you should follow your heart. People that follow their hearts get into all kinds of trouble. But I do think you should listen to your heart. There was an old kid's song that was sung by the Lundstroms years ago. Does anybody in here know who the Lundstroms were? Oh, a few of you, you might remember this song. Thought about having you sing it this morning, but I didn't think you would do it. Listen to your heart, pitter, pitter, pat. Your heart will tell you this. Your heart will tell you that. You better be careful what you put inside because what goes in, you cannot hide. Listen to your heart. Not follow your heart, but listen to what it's saying. It might be a clue to what God wants to do by what is moving in your heart. When I was... um, In Bible college, there was a missionary evangelist that was really captured my attention. His name was Bill Burkett and was a really unusual character. But I'll never forget a message he preached to young preachers. And he encouraged all of us, and not just preachers, but believers. He said, don't be afraid to allow the Spirit of God to play your emotions like an instrument, particularly when you're in ministry if you're ministering to someone's need, if you're proclaiming the word of God, if you're praying for someone, if you're worshiping, don't be afraid to let the spirit of God play your emotions like a spiritual instrument. What does that mean? It means that there are times when I'm preaching or sharing something that I'll, I'll choke up and cry or I'll get strong in my emotion. And I, I remember thinking, God, I want to be that harp that you can play. I want to be that instrument that if you want to show your emotion, then show it on my heart. Now, that wasn't always the case for me. When we were pastoring our first church in Olwine, it was 110% Catholic and Lutheran. We were the weirdos out by the lake, and strange things happened at the church in people's minds. And I thought, God, I really think, and I I was 24 when I went there, full of wisdom, faith, and power. And there are these older pastors, and they're respected. And I'm not making fun here. I just don't know how else to tell this. But there's something different in the way a liturgical church operates and the way a charismatic church operates. And I got thinking, the pastors who are respected in this town are dignified. They're edumacated. They're serious. And I said, God, I don't want to be one of those crazy charismatic preachers anymore. I don't want to be yelling and spitting and throwing my coat and running across the pews or whatever else. Will you let me be a dignified preacher? And I'm telling you, when I prayed that, in that moment, I felt the Spirit of God lift his hand off of me. 
And for the next six months, God let me have what I asked for. There was no sense of his power. There was no sense of his anointing. I was going through the forms. I was simply delivering a message and I repented for five and a half months of that. And I said, God, whatever it takes, I want your touch. I want your touch again. You can make a fool of me for your kingdom if you need to. I'll cry till snot runs down my shirt. I'll do whatever you want to do with me and use me in whatever way you can. And I am so sorry that I tried to tell you what I should be. But would you once again begin to move on my heart? Let me feel your touch. I know this isn't the South but I also know you have emotions. I listened to a Church of God in Christ brother preach this week at the Acts 6-4 conference. And he's preaching, going to, at Church of God in Christ, it's like the Black Sister Fellowship of the Assemblies of God. And at the end, he had his drummer and organist up there and he started doing the, and I believe that Jesus saves, you know, and they're doing all of that. And he's crying and he's yelling and he's sweating and people are shouting. Now, I don't believe you do that to manipulate a crowd, but could we, could we admit that there are times that God wants to move on us and because of our cultural upbringing, we shut the lid down. Is anybody hearing me this morning? I'm not one of those. Nothing happens in ministry of substance without God having access to your emotions. Now, we don't follow our emotions. We don't follow our heart. We don't live by that because there's some mornings I get up and I don't even know if I'm human, let alone saved. We're not governed by that, but sometimes, are you getting this at all? Sometimes we need to listen to that. Let our hearts respond. Some of you ought to just during worship experiment a little bit with letting your heart speak just a little louder. Hallelujah. Do you know that Old Testament worship was very demonstrative? They would twirl, they would sing, they would raise their hands and the same is true in the Old Testament. Listen, God may be speaking through what you are feeling. God may be speaking through what you're feeling. You do have to have discernment though. I've had dreams that were from God and I've had dreams that were from pizza. Hello? You have to know the difference. Just because God... I'm, let me back up. Just because someone pulls in front of me in traffic doesn't mean that my anger is the voice of God to call down fire on their vehicle. You have to discern the difference. That's why you listen. Is what I'm feeling right now just me? Or am I sensing something in my heart that might just be the heart of God that it's time for me to respond to? There are some things that we need to thunder against and there's some things we need to weep over and there's some things we need to celebrate when it's in line with the heart of God. Well, where is that in this place? In Scripture. It's in Ezekiel chapter 3. Now, we had read last week about how the glory of God appeared to Ezekiel 
All of these things happened in chapters one and two. And then in the middle, we see again in chapter three that it ends with the glory of God appearing again. And listen to what happens. Then the spirit lifted me up. This is in chapter three, verse 12. And I heard behind me a great thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from this place. I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another, the noise of the wheels beside them, and a great thunderous noise. It's the same thing that happens at the start of the chapter with the visions of God. What happens when the glory returns? Now watch this. The spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went. Okay, I'm gonna pause here because I need you to make this connection. The glory of God, God working in the life of Ezekiel, the glory of God returns, the spirit of God catches him up, and I went in bitterness and in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Now, if the hand of the Lord is strong upon you and your heart is experiencing bitterness and anger, it could just be that your heart is feeling the anger that God's feeling toward his rebellious people. The hand of the Lord was strong. Then I came to the captives at Tel Abib, who dwelt by the river Kibar. I sat where they sat, and remained there astonished among them seven days. That word astonished doesn't mean surprised. It means to feel desolate, to be appalled, to be stunned, to be stupefied. God was laying on Ezekiel the heavy burden that he needed to feel for the nation of Israel. Why are they in Babylon because of their rebellion, because of their unwillingness to repent, to go in their self-willed way. He's already said to Ezekiel, I'll make your head as hard as their head. I'll make you as tough as they are. They are rebellious people. And God's love sometimes manifests itself with his hard correction. Have you ever been upset at your child while still loving them? So listen to me, God often begins to lead with placing a burden on your heart. The prophets often say, the burden of the Lord came to me. Yes, we need the joy of the Lord and we need to rejoice and all of that is true. But I'm going to suggest to you that even in Nehemiah's return, nothing begins without a burden from God. People will come to me and say, Pastor, what do you want me to do in this church? I want you to do what God burdens you to do. Just make sure it's God. And if you feel like God's burdened you to be the lead pastor, that wasn't God. That was the arrogance of your soul. <laughs> nothing happens. What do you feel burdened about? all through ministry, this is what I tend to hear. Pastor, I have a burden and I think the church ought to do something about this need.
if you have a burden, then you need to rise up and begin to do something about it. We'll come alongside and try to help you. But when God burdens you, it doesn't mean we all need to do it. (laughs) It just means you need to. And you know what? You can do some things. We have people doing ministry in this church that we're not engaged in, but we celebrate that they're doing it because that's the burden God's put on their heart. Is anyone hearing me right now? Listen to the heart of God manifesting itself in your heart with a burden that comes from him. Second, once you have that burden, you need to speak the revealed word of God. You need to speak the revealed word of God. Here's what Ezekiel is told. At the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel, so hear the word that I speak and give them warning from me. It starts with hearing the word. I don't think this can be overstressed. Hearing the word of God in the New Testament over and over, it says, let any man who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. We need an ear to hear what God says. (laughs) It's not enough to simply go through the motions. Now, I understand that all of us can mishear things and misinterpret things. Again, it requires an ability to recognize the voice of God. I've told the story often. We were pastoring in Old Wine, living in a 14 by 60 trailer, cars that barely ran, couldn't hardly pay the bills. We needed a new car, and I went into a car dealership. And they told me to take this new car for a drive. How many of you have ever been intoxicated by new car smell? I drove that around, drove it home, and I was thinking of all the things we could do in ministry, and I pulled up to the house knowing that I'd heard God. God wants us to have this car to pick people up. Isn't it amazing how you can justify your flesh with spiritual rationale? And I pulled in and I said, Carol, come on, look at this. It's a beautiful color, brand new car. We never had a new car. We bought old cars that were traded in for another old car. I mean, they were down the line a ways. And she said, I said, I really feel like God spoke to me. And she said, did God tell you how we're going to pay for it? (laughs) I think God's saying to take it back. I've learned that oftentimes, you've heard me say this, the voice of God sounds a lot like Carol Pilcher. See, I just say she hadn't gotten in and been intoxicated by the smell. Yes, you can mishear and you can be sincere. I'm not saying everything you hear is from him, but cultivate an ear to hear and cultivate an ability to listen. And this word hear is a common word in the Old Testament, but it means to hear with attention or interest, to listen to, to understand, to give heed, to consent, to agree, to obey, to be obedient. Learn to hear his voice. How do you do that? Well, you meditate on the word of God and then you try it. Prove, test what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God and you'll find out what's his voice. Then you need to speak the word. Now, in a generic sense, I believe that the word of God should fill our minds and mouths. I I, am... posted on the internet as a joke picture of me that wasn't a joke that was brutal moving snow yesterday and I said it's a great day in the neighborhood but you know what the word of God says this cursed weather 
17 below zero, hell must have frozen over today. That isn't what it says, does it? What does it say? This is a day the Lord has made, and I will be glad and rejoice in it. I believe the word of God needs to be in your mind. And I do believe the word of God needs to be in your mouth. And I do believe you need to speak what the word says. I'm 100% for that and committed to that. And we used to ask ourselves, if some of you are old enough, had the bracelets, WWJD. How many of you ever had a WWJD? What would Jesus do? And I think before you ask what would Jesus do, that you need to have a bracelet on the other wrist that says um, WWJS. What would Jesus say? We get in more trouble by saying what he wouldn't say than by uh, doing what he wouldn't do. Yes, I believe that. But I want to take it a step further. I believe it's important that you speak to others. Speak to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But when you speak to others, you need to speak what he tells you to speak. Not what you've lifted out of context and thrown like a random spear at somebody's life. What has he told you to say to them? Not your random list from the promise box or a, 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 a disconnected collection of verses. Say what he told you to say to them. Fill your mind with the word and speak the word for you and to others, but speak to others what he told you to say to them. Not just random thoughts. It's a prophetic role. We are called to speak the voice of God to all of mankind. I love the verse in Proverbs 25, 11. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And we as children of God are responsible to speak to this generation. It's getting harder. It's getting harder. Again, I was thinking the other day how the church world has changed from when I started. We didn't worry about what pronoun. That wasn't even, you're either male or female. And you don't have to be a wizard to figure it out. Hello? All of them weren't even part of the conversation. And I thought about some things that have happened in churches and Bible colleges. And you remember a church in New York City, a charismatic church at a women's conference hired a guy who called himself the Naked Cowboy to come and play his guitar and sing to them in his underwear. And I think, how does that happen? And we will say, well, we dealt with it once we saw it. And this question came into my head. How, why have we lowered the standards so much? that it was able to get in. I don't care if you dealt with it once it happened. How did it get in? How did it get in? We read about mass shootings, mass murderers around the country had the situation at Perry that people are still grieving over, and I'm so sorry for that. But do you know what the key is? 
The key to a shooter isn't what you do when you get him in, it's to stop him before he does get in. And we've lost our voice in responding to things that are coming in and trying to deal with them that should never have been granted access. What do we do in that case? Listen to what God said to Ezekiel. Seven days, he's quiet. At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, I've made you watch over the house of Israel. Verses 16 to 21. So hear the word that I speak and give them warning for me. When I say to the wicked man, you will surely die. And you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life. That wicked man will die in his sin and I will hold you accountable for his blood. Did you just hear that? But if you do warn the wicked man and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for his sin and you will have saved yourself. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does evil, I'll put a stumbling block before him and he will die. Since you did not warn him, he will die in his sin. The righteous things he did will not be remembered and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the righteous not to sin and he does not sin, you will surely live because... He took warning and you will have saved yourself. Evangelism is more than a good idea. Now let's go back to the parable of the canoe. You can say that the man who's about to go over the waterfalls asleep was foolish. But who's responsible for his death? The guy sitting on the bank that could have awakened him and warned him and watched him die. This generation needs watchmen who are willing to say, you can justify whatever you're at church, you can sleep in the canoe, but you're gonna go over the waterfalls. This world can continue to consume iniquity like water, but there is judgment that has come and will continue to come, and God will hold us accountable if we don't raise our voice. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So last, I want to challenge you to follow the manifest presence of God. As a watchman, follow the manifest presence of God. In Ezekiel 3.23, the hand of the Lord was there upon me, and he said to me, get up and go out to the plain, and there I'll speak to you when I got up and went out to the plain. The glory of the Lord was standing there like the glory I'd seen at the Kibar River, and I fell face down. Then the Spirit came into me and raised me up, and he said, go shut yourself in your house. Now watch this, that the presence of God that was at the river Kibar, the presence of God that comes after the revelation, the presence of God shows himself again, and all I can tell you, is how can you know if you're following and obeying the Spirit? Because in the moments that you do, the manifest presence of God will be displayed in your life. That's all I know to tell you. I've sat in my office with people and had no idea what to say to them and sat there in silence with my tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth and all of a sudden I get a word from God and begin to speak that and the manifest presence of God comes in the room not because I 
have wisdom, but because he showed up, pursue the manifest presence of God. Look for how he responds, and you will feel him in those moments. There have been numerous times when I felt like I should talk to someone and talk myself out of it. You know, you really should say something to them. You need to talk to them. Well, that must be the devil. Are you kidding me? What is wrong? Why is the devil going to tell you to go help someone or talk to them? Well, it's my flesh. My flesh doesn't say that. My flesh says it's time for pecan pie and a good cup of coffee. <laughs> but something happens when you put your foot in the water. <laughs> I said, something happens when you put your foot in the water and you sense the manifest presence of God descend on your life. Follow that, look for that, watch for that as the manifest presence of God descended on Ezekiel as he began to obey. When times get tough, remember the glory of his presence. He says, they're gonna tie you up. I don't know if that's literal or figurative. There's no proof of that. But there's a time to be silenced and a time to speak. Sometimes your strongest voice is by not laughing, not talking, not responding. Someone tells an off-color joke. You don't have to say, you sinful person, you're going straight to hell. Sometimes just silence. Sometimes it's just silence. So as you watch what happens at the end of the chapter, be silent until he says to speak. And when he says to speak, then let your voice be heard. We're called to be watchmen on the walls, calling out to the righteous and the unrighteous a primary component of biblical community and of evangelism. What's our calling? Listen to the heart of God. Speak the revealed word of God and follow the manifest presence of God. And we will be a light in a dark place. I believe God's calling us to be watchmen on the walls. A vision of God will put you in that place. Let's stand together.
Lord Jesus, let us see you. We need in this generation visions of God. We need to see your, in your grandeur and your glory. And then let us know how you want to work through us. Set us as watchmen on the walls to be a voice to this generation and see revival burn through the streets. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody that loves him said, amen. If you love the Lord, let me hear your hands this morning. What a great God we serve. How do you become a watchman? You start to watch. You start to watch. Let's be what God wants us to be to this generation. Amen. God bless you. Greet someone. Shake their hand. Let them know you're glad they're here. Be a blessing.